Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I would like to thank my listeners who have supported Inside Personal Growth now for in excess of eight years, listening to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today, joining me from New Jersey is Bill Jensen. And Bill has written a book called Future Strong, How to Work, Unleash, Lead Boldly, and Live Life Your Way. Good day to you, Bill. How are you? Great, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it's, uh, it's really nice having you on Inside Personal Growth. And, you know, you have six other books, and this book is the is really, really interesting book. Obviously, it looks like all your others are as well. For my listeners, we'll put links to those books as well. But I want our listeners to know just a bit about you. Um, Bill is the best-selling author of eight books. I think I said six, so I made a mistake there. Eight. Um, he helps companies and teams double their productivity and pursue their passions. He has spent 25 years studying how work gets done. Much of what he's found horrifies him. Um, he's internationally acclaimed thought leader who is known for extremely useful content, making it easier for everyone to work smarter, not harder. This book, Future Strong, is the eighth book. He is the CEO of the Jensen Group, a change consulting firm. He founded in 1985. Um, you can learn more about Bill at www.simplerwork.com, where he has posts there, as well as the Huffington Post, LinkedIn, Medium, Switch and Shift, and elsewhere. Um, one of Bill's personal fantasies is to ride his bike around the globe via breweries. For a fellow cyclist who cycles a bunch, um, I'd love to do that with you when you get get going there, Bill. <laughs> Sounds like fun. You're to date. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I could do that with the breweries as well. Now, look, this book, Future Strong, you interviewed over 7,000 leaders, students, pioneers, and cube dwellers, as you call them, from across the globe about tough choices that they need to make to jump into the future. What did you find out, and what are the five choices that will make my listeners, in particular, who are listening today, future strong? Greg, before we even go into the five choices, I think that an important context is the questions we asked and what we were interested in pursuing. There's so much talk out there of the future work, and it's mostly digital-driven. You know, we're going to be, uh, we're all going to be replaced by robots, and it's going to be artificial intelligence, and we're moving into big data, and all of that is absolutely true. I mean, we'll have self-driving cars in the very near future. Manufacturing will be replaced by 3D printing, and there's so much going on right now. It's an amazing time to live to be alive, mm -hmm. but it also raises difficult choices that each of us must face as we encounter all of these new technologies and new possibilities. So we asked two sets of questions. One was, okay, what are the tough choices that you feel we need to make to prepare our managers and our workforce to be as we called it, future strong or ready for any difficult future. And the second set which was uh, of questions, which was very insightful, we asked personal questions like, what makes you, you? And we found a connection between each person's personal history, the challenges they've gone through, and the choices they're making. 
So one of the ahas, even before we get to the personal, you know, the five personal choices, Greg, that I would say everybody needs to know about is focus on what Warren Bennis called your crucible moments. These are your moments where an experience or an event um, challenged or changed or impact you in such a way that it formed how you look at the world. That can be anything from tragedy to, you know, from a death in the family to how you got over a disease to something joyous about something you learned in school or you learned from friends or from a sporting event. But it's, it's really a seminal moment in your life. And what we found was the way people were making those choices directly related to your past. Your past is handing you a tool to make choices that are strong. If you call upon that, the challenge was that most of us call upon our fears. And we need to get past our fears and anxieties when we're thinking about the future. Well, that makes sense because frequently those seminal moments or those crucible moments that you're speaking about, they leave an indelible imprint. Um, and so what is it that you would advise our listeners about going beyond that? You know, you mentioned that Future Strong is about adventurous self-mastery, simplified and amplified. And if you would, explain to the listeners what you actually mean by that. Sure. Adventurous self-mastery has two parts, the adventurous part and the self-mastery part. At, uh, Shakespeare called the future the, the unknown country. There's, it's always sailing beyond or, or where, uh, you know, middle-aged map makers always had beyond this point there be dragons. You know, throughout human history, the future, the unknowns in the future scare the, scare the hell out of us. So what we need to do is be adventurous, be the ones that got on the boat, and even though the map said the world will end, go beyond where it will end. And that's one of the things. It's a call to adventure. So one of the things we all need to explore is what is our call to adventure? What would keep us going? into a new uncertain environment and have us joyous and happy about it and having an embrace. So those crucible moments are related to where is your call to adventure? Mm -hmm. And then the self-mastery part is around, okay, this relates to the five choices that are in the book. What are the specific choices you need to make as you're approaching that place on the map that looks like the world is going to end and beyond this point there be dragons, what are the personal choices you need to make in order to keep going even though it's an unknown situation? Now, from a practical standpoint, many of my listeners are going to be saying, great, Bill, um, I understand that, but my, my biggest fear is really just how do I keep myself going financially, emotionally, spiritually? Because when you're facing those dragons from the other side, um, you know, as people go through life and they have one of these seminal moments or they have many of these seminal moments, um, they can get caught up in depression and anxiety and fear and all of those emotions that just almost bind them. They stop them. What would be your advice for trying to move beyond that? 
Well, first, uh, as one of our past presidents said during his campaign, I feel your pain. You know, uh-huh. I've been there for 30 years. I've had my own business. And if you looked at the the chart of my growth and shrinking, you know, it's it, it would be like the Rockies. It would go up and down, up and down, up and down. You know, I've over 30 years. I've been there. I've I've experienced those pains. So what I would advise is first, let's. Let's put aside, yes, I know, just like you, I have to pay bills. I have mortgage and, you know, the uh-huh. 2.2 kids and the white picket fence and whatever, whatever you have. For a moment, let's put those aside. And I would say we can't focus on how to be adventurous if we're always worried about those. We need to just for the moment, not long term, but for the moment, put those aside. And one of the first choices is inner truths. Will you hear who you are? And that is, as I said, calling upon your crucible moments so that you know whatever your tough choices are, that you have yourself to rely on, that you have family, community. How do you draw your strength? That's what's going to get you through, not what's the checklist. And why this is so important, I know you, you know, many of your listeners have heard this before on other shows, you know, but it's know thyself. And it's so said so often it becomes yeah, yeah, yeah. What I discovered during the research of this book is the 80-20 rule of inner knowingness. About 80% of us think we know who we are and are wrong. We have only done about 20% of the work we need to in order to draw on that inner strength. So a quick exercise from one of the people we we interviewed is called the obituary exercise. Imagine if you were going to die tomorrow. Write your own obituary, one page or so, a couple paragraphs. What would it read? Now, imagine when you hope to die, you know, maybe a decade, two decades, three, 30, 40, 50 years from now. What would you like that obituary to read? Now compare the two one-pagers. Look at those two. Is there a difference? For most people, that 80-20 rule of inner knowingness, they're leaving off things that they really want to achieve till some point in the future. So the inner knowingness is about looking at your own obituary or any other introspective exercise that works for you and realizing the gap between what you're doing now to achieve who you are, and how your final obituary or legacy, how you want it to read. So think about the legacy you want to lead and start leading your life that way. Sounds like a really good introspective exercise to do. I can see how you know, you could see that gap and understand that where you are now versus where you want to be from your obituary is definitely going to be much different. It would also be a great motivator. Now, of these, um, you know, your your circle here, the inner truth was the first, the circle of strong choices. The soul on the fire is the second one. And it's about being future strong. Why are, what are these top reasons that my listeners today um, should be future strong? Why does it matter now more than ever? Why it matters now more than ever is we are entering into the an era, or we have been there and we're continuing to enter into an era of massive personal disruption. 
everything that can change. You know, when I talk to senior execs, what they're afraid of, the, the phrase they're using now is being Ubered, and that represents the, you know, the car service company, Uber, that instantly, overnight, completely decimated a taxi structure. Well, everything in arts, education, performance, uh, entertainment, uh, learning and development, management, everything is completely being Ubered. And if you're not paying attention to what is going on in your life, most of us, without knowing it, will become victims of those changes. Mm-hmm. We'll wait for those things. The, the legacy that I've learned that's most important for all of us and the lesson that I've learned out of the last few books is to disrupt yourself before others do it to you. Mm-hmm. So how it relates to the second thing in the, in the circle of choices, the soul on fire, Greg, is that most of us have heard this a gazillion times, follow your passion, you know, per- pursue whatever you're passionate about. And many people really don't know what that is. They just, you know, they, they want to just not do the crappy work, not want to do the hard work. It's just, you know, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Well, what it takes is to get through this passionate moment. Is to, and where all these disruptions are being thrust upon you is to really understand the fire that's burning within you. An example, what I did with everybody I interviewed, I'll use mine, but there are many in the book that are other people's stories. I'll use my own. That inner, first, the inner knowing, the second, soul on fire. Where mine came from was 21 years ago this past summer, my mom died. And we all went into the hospital, my sisters and I, with our families, and we were told, you know, she had a massive stroke. She's not going to make it through the night. And you can imagine what we're going through. And, you know, my grandmother was there, her mother, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you is you losing a child before you go. You know, so it's a horrible, horrible moment. We're told to go up to the ICU, the intensive care unit, wait. There's a family waiting room. Wait for her. They'll bring mom up, and we can be with her till she passes. Five minutes go by, no mom. Ten, twenty, no mom. Thirty, no mom. You know, I'm waiting for my father to take to do something, to say something, but he's not a take charge kind of guy. So finally, at 40 minutes, I went ballistic. You know, I was a terrible person. I kicked, I screamed, I cursed, but I got people's attention. And the docs and nurses, they all come over, and they say, "We're sorry, but your mom has been dying alone in the emergency room. Nobody's been there holding her hand." There was a miscommunication between the ER and the ICU, and nobody knew to bring her up. So they did bring her up. Uh, you know, a couple hours later, she did pass. At least we were with her. But after the grieving process, long after the grieving process, eventually I realized that hospital stole 40 of the last minutes that I would ever have with my mom. And what I do now, that is both my introspective moment inner knowing my crucible moment, that's my crucible moment, and my soul on fire. What I do now when I go around the world and I'm in front of audiences, Greg, I teach people that the most important number in business is the number 1,440 because that's the number of minutes in a day. So now my passion, my passion is to wake everybody up to realize that all the choices they make, most of them they could make differently. The biggest thing you should be worried about is not your mortgage or your 2.2 kids or the white picket fence. It's how many of those 1,440 minutes 
are you really using well for what matters? How many of those 1,440 minutes are you allowing other people to steal from you? They're, it seems like they're good people. They're not like the hospital. They're not doing it intentionally. But still the net effect, like that hospital, I had 40 of the last minutes stolen from me and my mom. Many of the minutes during your day are being stolen from you. So the only way you can't get past that by cutting out, you know, deleting emails or, you know, going to meetings better, which, by the way, are the two biggest time wasters in our days. But that is only going to get you so far. And more often you're going to get sucked back into answering stupid emails and going to stupid meetings. Where the real passion comes from is knowing what makes you, you, that crucible moment. As I said, for me, that was my mom's death. And your soul on fire, how I have now what they call in consultancies, productize that and monetize that and created a consulting, you know, and speaking environment around that. But when I get up in front of people, you know, I'm not worried about how much money I'm making on stage. I'm worried about, can I help you use more of your 1,440 minutes every day? So that is a concrete example of one person, Bill Jensen, how I have leveraged the inner truth, my mom's death, and my soul on fire, what I'm passionate about, to do my work every day. And that's what all of us, I don't, you know, every listener, it's going to be different, Greg. It, your listeners are going to have to think through their lives for themselves. But that's the starting point. It's not emails, it's not meetings, it's not the 2.2 kids or the white picket fence or the mortgage. It's what is my crucible moment and how is that going to drive what I'm truly passionate about every day? Well, you can certainly see that you're very passionate about that. And I think that what I derive from your own personal story is really relationships. And, you know, whether you're spending this time on the email or you're in meetings, the key is really building strong relationships. And I think most of us, we have a tendency to take a lot of that for granted. And we really don't realize how important that is. Now, you speak about, you said your respondents to your global survey told you that tomorrow's workforce is flopping the relationship lens. You say they see companies as vehicles to achieve their goals and their dreams. Now, that's a great statement. The question that I have for you is what has to shift in the leadership of most organizations for people to get that freedom? If I may, Greg, tweak your question, it's a 50-50 answer. First is, it's not just leaders, it's every individual. So why we were talking about these other truths, and the third is, how will you choose to be vulnerable? How are you going to put yourself out there uh, and be willing to take personal risks? So far, those three uh, choices, the inner knowing, the soul on fire, and humble self, how are you going to choose to be vulnerable, uh-huh. add up to how are you going to put yourself out there in the world. So 50% of my answer about your, towards your question is it's an individual responsibility. What's happening with millennials and Gen Y, they're coming in and not being the typical employees. And if we keep trying to engage them as we engaged boomers and Gen Xers, we're going to fail. 
we need to complete, really understand each individual and what they're looking to, to go for. So the fir- first 50% is each individual's responsibility is mm-hmm. to really know yourself and bring that to the workplace and say, here's what I need to do. The second part, the leaders, the question that you asked was the, what a leaders and managers role is we need to understand that we are entering into an era that is very data driven and with technology, we have the capability to tailor every single moment. You see this in apps, you see this at Disney World, you see this all over the place. We need, have the ability to tailor experiences still create great environments for teams and entire enterprises, but tailor experiences to each individual also. So what that means to leaders when it talks about helping each individual be their best, I just spoke, matter of fact, I'm editing the video as we, as we speak or before and after we speak uh, towards a, a keynote that I gave at a chief learning officer event. And A specific example is, will we have the courage, leadership will, to create much more user-centered, learner-centered experiences for, you know, Greg, I like to tell stories. That's how I need to learn. So, you know, you're going to tailor the learning towards me with storytelling. Uh, Mary next to us might need data. They're going to give her a lot more data. You know, Harry next to her might need more uh, specific checklists. Are we willing, do we have the political will, the leadership will, the engagement will to start tailoring a lot more of the work experiences to each individual? And we do have that capability now. It doesn't take anything more than, no matter how technology advances, it doesn't take anything more than you know, 2010 level technology to do this. It's really the leadership will. So are we willing to do more to change our hierarchies, to change our budgeting structures, to change our training and development, to change projects, how they're run, to change how team meetings are run, to incorporate a lot more of each individual's needs? And why this is so important to every leader is late 2015, early 2016, depending on where you work in your industry, we have hit the tipping point for millennials. They are now at 50% or greater of the workforce. So even though we're going to continue to have boomers and Xers and others in the workforce, the millennials and how they see tailor it to me, they're going to, if they, if they don't get this, they're going to leave a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So the tenure rate of a couple of years might drop to six months. Well, and we already have an issue in the workforce with relation to finding the proper talent. I mean, it's it's a big issue, uh, especially when it comes to the technology sector. But I see it happening across the board everywhere. Now, you you had mentioned something uh, in the book that we need to be vulnerable and live on the edge of risk. Is that how that is how we become future strong? What recommendations do you would you have for our listeners who are listening to you and I right now? about being on the edge of risk to really become future strong. Because risk is a thing that most people are leery of. Absolutely. And when we, you know, crawled out of our caves and we're cavemen and there were other, you know, things around us, big, 
big, terrible monsters that could kill us as soon as we crawled out of the cave. That was, that's a good thing to have embedded in our brains. But right now, we have so much baggage and so much crap around fear, we're afraid of looking bad. We're afraid of raising our hand because someone might think we're not smart. We're afraid of standing up and saying this is a stupid idea because we not, might not be perceived as a, as a good teammate. We're afraid of how we're perceived, of how we might be perceived if we were bold, if we were adventurous, if we who we are. The majority of the fears that most of us are dragging around with us are personal baggage. They are not valid. The biggest thing that we should be fearful of is not taking enough risks. Mm -hmm. Because the future, as I was saying earlier, a lot more disruption is going to be forced on you. So the real choice around risk is, am I going to take this risk now? where I can design my support system, where I can decide how much I'm a, am I willing to gamble on this. It's just like, Greg, each of us, you know, if we're, in, if we're saving for a rainy day or for retirement, we have an invest, investment portfolio. Most of us have that portfolio where there's a lot of things that are, that are not risky, a lot of things that are super safe, or some things that are super stay, safe, and some things, a few, that are more risk because they give a greater return. Mm -hmm. I am not saying to everyone, you know, you know, risk your house, go out there and lose your job. I am not saying that. But one of the concrete exercises that is in the book is to do a, an analysis of your projects. And let's say, to make my math simple, you had 10 projects per year. How many of those projects are designed for you to advance your personal dreams, goals, and skills? And how many of those projects are designed to advance the company and the team around you, but not you? So one of the things I do, it's just like an analysis with a financial portfolio, helping people create a risk assessment of the kind of work they do. And all of us, your tolerance for risk, my tolerance for risk, Greg, might be better than yours. Let's say I, I 10%, one of my projects uh, per year might be risky. You're a little safer, maybe, maybe one every two years might be risky. So it's a lower you know, risk for you. But mm -hmm. all of us need to take on actions that put ourselves, that we embrace risk more. Otherwise, it's going to be thrown at us when we're not prepared for it. Now, in the book, you're going on to sacrifice and what are the best hardships for the future. And you, you speak about uh, hardships and sacrifices. Can you articulate to the audience about this 10, 100, 1,000 plan? and how this could help us through these hardships and sacrifices. Um, I'll come to 10, 100, 1,000 in a moment. But the, the basic concept is we all know that throughout life, anything that is worthwhile, we're going to have to make some sacrifices. We're going to have to endure some hardships. You know, if you're an athlete, that means the sweating it out before the game time and practice, 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 and exercise and weightlifting or, or swimming or whatever it is you do before the moment. 
Mm-hmm. So we all know that we need to make hard, hardships and sacrifices to get anything that's worthwhile. Unfortunately, the stack is de- the the deck is stacked against most of us in most corporations. Most of the hardships come to this meeting that's going to use up a half of a day of your time. Do this, you know, sacrifice time from your kids to accomplish this project. Many of the sacrifices that we are being asked to make are benefit the company, but not necessarily us. So it's choosing the best hardships and sacrifices for your future. And the best, the 10, 100, 1,000, idea is, you know, build out an Excel spreadsheet or, you know, ruled paper with three columns. And 10 days, 100 days, 1,000 days. When am I going to see a return on my investment for this hardship? For example, you might go to a, a meeting that you think is a waste of time, but eventually it might pay off in good relationships. You might see that off in, you know, 1,000 days. Keep track of your top 25 hardships or sacrifices, the things that ask you, ask the most of you, and look at see if it's balanced. There's a, there's a chart in the book that I won't go through detail now, but it's basically you need to keep a portfolio of where you're taking ri- better risks and sacrifices that will give you long-term, short-term, and medium-term rewards. Most of us are making sacrifices that are not short-term, long-term, medium-term returns for us. They are for others, like our company. We need to start analyzing and thinking about those hardships differently. Now, one of your last uh, choices in the circle of choices is this reliance. And you mentioned that if we're going to to be future-strong, throughout our life that we need to be disciplined in forming and maintaining what you refer to as a small cluster of elite level reliance relationships. What is that? How is it done? And what are you speaking of there? Who are reliance relationships? If you look at any movie that does what's called the hero's journey, you know, mm-hmm. where Luke Skywalker, you know, endures something and, uh, you know, conquers the, the dark force or any, anything like that. Or if you look at the military, the elite groups in the military, like the Navy SEALs, what happens is there's a group of people around the individual, anywhere from five to 20 people, depending on the, the, whatever the goal is, that always have each other's backs. So reliance is about who will you choose to have your back. Now, that's different than having great teammates who love you and you love working with them, and it's fun, and it's exciting. That's different than having a mentor or a coach. It's putting together a group of anywhere between 3 to 15 or so people that know what your long-term goals are. So if Greg, I wanted, if I told you I, I needed, you're my teammate, and I, my long-term goal is, uh, you know, 10 years from now, I want to be bicycling around the globe via breweries. I'm going to, you're going to have my back, and every time a new project comes up, you'd sit down with me and say, Bill, how is this helping you achieve your longer-term goals? Is it? And then when we, and then I'd ask you the same of your long-term goals. So a reliance relationship is not just, it is, 
It includes great teamwork, having fun, loving the people you work with. It's all of that, and it's sharing with those people your longer-term goals and dreams and aspirations and allowing them to have your back as they look at your workload and vice versa. You do that for others. So it's watching out for each other, having your back as far as where you want your life, not just your work, where you want your life to go. So it's a small team or a small group of individuals that you can feel vulnerable and share with and be able to, that they know your goals, you know theirs. I call it, you know, it's almost like a little mastermind group that you formed. Um, exactly. they, don't, they don't necessarily all have to be the people in your work. I mean, it can be people outside of your work. Now, as we kind of sum up this interview, Bill, what are some of the skill sets? You have a whole couple of pages dedicated in the book to the skill sets that our listeners need for tomorrow. What are some of those skill sets? Again, even before the skill set, Greg, comes the mind shift. Uh-huh. One, of the other, one of the other diagrams in the book is uh, two circles in, in a Venn diagram that do not intersect. And one is your comfort zone, and the other is where your magic happens. The biggest lesson I would share with your listeners beyond any specific skill set uh-huh. is the things that will make you future strong, 100% of them will be outside of your comfort zone. So the goal is there are many different ways to get there with coaches, you know, with mentors, with uh, reliance team or, uh, or mind environments, you know, where you're sharing and, and growing. But um, the biggest thing is to find ways to take yourself out of your comfort zone. So one of the strongest skills as we, uh, as we end our conversation around this is really uh, how are you going to put yourself in that environment, create a, a plan, create a way to look at yourself. I've given a couple examples of you know, spreadsheets or columns. Create a way of looking at the work you do and your activities and imagine what are you doing that's taking you, set you out of your comfort zone? If there is not some small portion in there that's taking you out of your comfort zone, uh, you need to adjust that. And another quick example, there's lots more in the book, but one I'd say that applies to everything, not just future strong, is learn how to communicate in a way where you're vulnerable and learn how to share this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. This is what scares, scares me. Reach out for help. The biggest skill set is asking for help. Most of us are afraid to do that. And, uh, and I'll admit, you know, I'm guilty of this too. I've had my business for 30 years. It was just uh, two days ago where I reached out to a person that helped write that book with me, the research. And I said, some things, you know, X, Y, and Z are not going the way I would like. Uh, help me. And it was hard. You know, I'm supposed to be a coach. I'm supposed to be a mentor of others. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to know what the hell I'm doing. And I, it was hard for me to reach out and say, I don't know what I'm doing here. So communicate that vulnerability and you will be much stronger. I think that shows your vulnerability, Bill. And I think that's great that you're, you know, you're willing to admit that. That's really important. And um, your willingness to actually ask for help. And for my listeners out there, um, truly, 
getting a coach or finding a confidant or somebody that you can trust or you believe has a skill set that you don't have. Find them and go see what you can learn because this is really about learning. And Bill, what you've brought to me is an opportunity for people to basically learn more about being future strong and to unleash this, you know, what you call lead boldly and live your life your way. Where can people go to learn more about you, your blog, um, any talks that you've done, places you like? No, I know you've got two websites out there. So where would you like to direct the listeners? Future Strong, specifically, is on Amazon. Just type in, in the search bar on Amazon, Future Strong Bill Jensen, and you'll go there, and it's in audio and you know, ebook and print. Uh, futurestrong.me, or Future Strong Me, is the book's website. And my main website, where all my business is done through my videos and all my books, and the, you can download a whole bunch of tools for free that we didn't have time to discuss today, Greg. There's a ton of how-to tools available on www.simplerwork.com. Yep, there's a personal assessment up there that I checked out. Um, it's uh, for all of those listeners. Uh, he does have quite a few assessments available, both for business and individual, and uh, those are available at that website. And we'll put links to those too, Bill. Um, thank you, thank you so much for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing your wisdom about Future Strong. And I think, really, more importantly, this inner journey that all of us need to take to really lead a more fulfilled and meaningful life, um, both personally, professionally, spiritually, because you've touched on all of those areas. Thanks for being a guest on Inside Personal Growth. Thank you, Greg. It's been amazing.